When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, and hang on. I do want to take his collar off so that he doesn't, if he scratches or anything. You're free! Okay. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Welcome to Awesome Etiquette, part of the Infinite Guest Network. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post from the Emily Post Institute. So today we're talking about dogs. I'm currently dog-sitting for Pooja's sister's dog, who oftentimes stays with her parents, but they're away on a trip right now, so the task has fallen to us, and it's been such a treat. We have Rocky for the next month. He's going to be with us right through Thanksgiving, and Rocky's a little toy poodle. He's absolutely adorable. He's like a living Teddy Ruxpin. I'm dating myself, but if you remember that, that... Uh, little teddy bear that used to speak <laughs> one of those early technotronic toys that's what rocky reminds me of he's um he's the most cuddly cute adorable little animal he loves to jump in your lap he loves to be held he's so affectionate and um he's uh, finding his way deeper and deeper into my heart and as he does it i'm finding myself wanting to spoil him like a child i i'm sympathizing with all those parents out there that that uh that spoil their children right now but i'm also trying to be really careful because um, I don't want to spoil him. And one of the things about house sitting or dog sitting for Rocky is that he comes with a whole set of instructions. He has a crate at night. He wears a seatbelt in the car. He's one of these dogs that'll, that'll get in your purse. He has a little carrying case, and you can put him under your arm and take him right around with you. He's got a very particular diet. We gotta we have to feed Rocky good foods and natural foods. And I, I like to... I like to look for that puppy treat that is the fake meat puppy treat that smells really <laughs> oh, terrible. It's, <laughs> but they just love Completely it. Completely <laughs> fake, yeah. Um, and and at the same time, I'm really trying to be aware that that his mother and his grandparents really really have spent a lot of time making him the well behaved animal that he is, and also the the healthy animal that he is. And I want to give him back to them in really good condition so i've been thinking <laughs> a lot about dogs right now like, you know <laughs> like 10 pounds heavier and like sluggish and then no. refusing to get in his crate at crate, night or yeah. his carrier no. Would, um, yeah. no it is it's really hard when when you do have someone else's dog with you because um for instance like my dog benny i, I love him very much he's a, he's a rescue i got him when he was four he's about eight now and it's it's really easy for even me to want to spoil Benny, but I know what happens if I do. And I, I do spoil him. I mean, he comes with me everywhere. He is, I mean, he is like my right-hand man. He's sitting here with us in the studio with his collar off so that he hopefully doesn't make a lot of noise when he scratches his ear or something. But it's really hard not to want 
to to just baby them and do everything because you're so happy to have this little sweet face with these big brown eyes that looks up at you and you're like, oh my gosh. They're so good How, at that. Yeah, they are. They're really good. And that's <laughs> that's not just like love. That's conditional. That's like, you know, that's something that's, that's developed advantage. over time. Thank you. That's what yeah. I was looking for. Evolutionary advantage. Um, but it is really hard because it's someone else's dog. And when it comes to trying to navigate what's okay, what's not okay, what rules can you break a little bit, and then when when do you not? I mean, we've had questions on the show about dogs and how to handle when someone else's Some dog comes to your dogs. house. Yeah, there's there's a lot that goes with it. And, I mean, even here in the studio, you know, our, our sound engineer knew that I was leaving Benny in the car at times when we needed to come in and record because I couldn't always leave him at the office. And he very sweetly, you know, offered to say, hey, it would be okay if, you know, his collar's off, he's not going to make noise, that he could come in here. That's like a really big difference to my dog's life to be able to do that. It sure you know? is. And it's kind of funny how when you have a dog that's visiting, you want to make all those little big differences no. all the time. Well, we're, we're a dog-friendly office. And we are. Yeah, as you're, as you're alluding to. And, and Benny's uh, with us every day. There used to be Jesse the Shepherd was with us. When yep. I had Magpie, she was not she was a dog that was appropriate to have us. at the office. And um, Jonah. Definitely aggressive. Jonah was in that middle territory for me because he was such a sweetheart. His nickname is Big Love. Jonah's my mother's dog. He also, if you picture the... Uh, Peanuts cartoons. He's like Pigpen. He moves in a, a cloud of blonde lab fur, fur that just gets just everywhere. distributed everywhere he goes. And I, you know, as you know, I keep some suits at the office. I like to be able to notch up my wardrobe, stepping out the door, and um, Jonah's hair gets Jonah everywhere. Hair everywhere was was a little problematic for, it. and that starts to be that dog etiquette territory. That when we got Rocky, uh, I went and talked to Peter, your father. I said, you know, I've got this little dog. It would be really easy if he could sometimes be in out of the office. Peter said, that's not even a question. Yeah, if, if, as long know, as he's a well behaved dog and he's not gonna cause a lot of issues or anything, and he's not. He's, he's a very sweet here. little dog. Yeah. And. Um, but I really appreciated both that gracious welcome from yeah. Peter that, no, he's a welcome part of the team here. But also I, it was something I wanted to do. I wanted to check in with him, let him know that there would be another dog around. And um, Well, and that's a lot of what, you know, when you have an animal or, or it, really any situation, whether it's it's food or um, when it comes to oftentimes children or <laughs> significant others. Not that we would compare dogs and children, but we. No, <laughs> it's a good, it's, it's a good but it's, it's one of those things where it, no matter what it is, like I said, whether it's a child, whether it's a significant other, whether it's a dog, whether it's a food allergy or a food restriction, being proactive about talking about it and never just assuming something, whether it's that a need will be taken care of or that it's okay to to bring a plus one or to, to, you know, automatically bring your kids with you or your dogs with you. It's really important that you're proactive and thinking about how this other person or this animal or this, you know, need that you have might affect the people around you. And taking that moment to ask, would it be all right? Could he come into the office? Or, you know, me not just simply bringing Benny in here because I've seen another dog in these studios, but instead talking with Chris about it and saying, would that really be okay? Will people outside understand, you know, that sort of thing? And sure enough, as he's 
scratching himself. <laughs> um, he knows he's being talked yeah, about. Yeah, I know. He's, you know, he gets, he gets big love whenever he comes in here, and people are psyched to have him, so it makes me feel good. But it is, it is that being proactive that is so important when you have a new addition to your life in some way. I couldn't agree more. Let's get to some of your questions for the day. You're right. There's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. And today we want to start off with a really great question because uh, it's kind of like uh, the follow-up to a question we get all the time. Uh, one of our readers, uh, Deidre, was reading on the Etiquette Daily about elaborate eaters. So people that have either dietary restrictions or dietary preferences or allergies and how to handle that as a host. But what Deidre wants to ask about is what do you do when your preferences are ignored? So um, she had a, a wonderfully long email, which I can't read all of it. So apologies, Deidre, on that. But what I do want to do is say that basically what's happening is she's a pescatarian, so she only eats fish. Occasionally she'll eat wild game. She likes the fact that it, it was raised wild in the wild, so that's all okay, and, and it, it sits well with her. So that's her choice. We all live by certain choices, and we are entitled to be making them for ourselves. And I want to make that really clear from the get-go. But what she's experiencing is that when she goes to family dinners, and this is family, they know what her dietary preferences are, and they are still serving things like lamb stew. 
or, you know, offering her leftover spaghetti as a as a a, a sort of um, substitute. Yeah. yeah, an alternative. Or when they all go out, the family all goes out to a restaurant, um, whoever's hosting the dinner has pre-ordered the food and ordered one vegetarian dish that she doesn't feel comfortable taking a, a large enough portion of to feel like she got a substantial dinner. At her office, um, they do kind of like like what we used to do, a group lunch, and the office will actually order lunch for everyone, and all she's seeing provided for her is a is like an iceberg lettuce salad, basically, that really doesn't have any nutritional value. Um, and what she says she did in that situation was when someone asked her why she wasn't eating, she said, I'm on a diet. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. But she is running into these problems and she's feeling like there's no way to go and shouldn't people be accommodating her? So, Deirdre, I hope I, I hit all the points and, and kind of condensed it down a bit. But it is really important that we start off by saying that I'm not hearing much proactive going on in this question about Deirdre doing what we always offer in that elaborate eater's question, which is, you know, it's really on you to offer to bring a dish that meets your needs. And this allows your host to then say, no, 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 I've got you covered. There will be plenty that you will you will have a hearty meal for. Or it allows your host to say, thank you, that would be wonderful because I'm really I, I really wanted to serve this, but I didn't know, you know, it wasn't going to be good for you. That sort of a thing. This is definitely a situation that hits close to home for me. My father is someone who transitioned to a vegetarian diet late in life. He was training for a cross-country bike trip at age 58 and decided that he was going to adopt a vegetarian diet. And there was definitely a period where the people around him, the people that were really close to him in life, adapted to his new diet. This was earlier in the – this was you know, 10, 15 years ago now and was – before every restaurant had a vegetarian option on the menu and every family had a college student who came home vegetarian. And um, it, it took my grandparents in particular a little while to, uh, <laughs> to, to figure out how to relate to their son-in-law who's suddenly eating a vegetarian diet. And the Post family uh, was a meat-eating family. The roast beast at Christmas was a, a very important part of the family tradition, for example. <laughs> and so now you're coming over to a, cl- a small family dinner and it's your grandkids and your daughter and her husband. And this is your, I'm putting myself in my grandparents' shoes now. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really know what to do. And at first there my father often found himself in this situation where maybe there are a couple of vegetable options on the table, but the proportions aren't right. If he were to eat enough right. to be full, everybody else is going to have two or three beans yeah. <laughs> or whatever, whatever it might be. So my father took to offering to bring a dish. He was uh, he's a pretty good cook. He would make a tomato and cheese pie. That was a favorite because it often fit on the table with everything else that was being served. Okay. It gave him something substantial. He could cut a nice wedge out of a tomato cheese pie and augment it with a few other vegetable dishes. And then he felt really well fed. Over time, I noticed my grandparents start to learn how to cook for a vegetarian. I noticed them start to make some accommodations. And it didn't happen every meal. But... You know, probably roughly in proportion to the people sitting around the table, every fourth, fifth or sixth meal, there would really be a vegetarian entree as the centerpiece on the table. Nice. That was was not uncommon. A lasagna. That was or, a vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely noticed they also started to have a few options in the freezer. There were things that could pop out of the freezer. And I mean, there are things that these days, you know, a tofurkey or something that we might <laughs> not be so excited about. But at the time, really, it was significant Made for my difference. father. And he also was patient. 
I think he really understood that that this was something new. And <laughs> he knew mud and poppy. <laughs> exactly. And, and and his desire wasn't to impose his diet on other people. He really right. just wanted to be sure that, that he was comfortable and that he yeah. felt well fed. So I, I've, I've witnessed this process happen. And there was definitely some give and take on both sides. Not everybody got it right all the time. I think there right. were times when my grandparents felt like, Okay, here we go. Now now we've got to accommodate the vegetarian. We've been doing it this way for 20 right. or 30 years. And in some ways as a guest, I think that that it's important to be aware of that imposition to make an effort to talk to your host as soon as possible like you were talking about because it right. really does help. It helps everyone find that that common ground. Well, and it it is that moment where you can say, "Hey, I'd love to bring something that would meet my needs." Rather than you know, um, in in one of Deidre's um, examples, she said that, you know, two hours before the meal, her mother emailed her and said, it's going to be lamb stew. Can't you just pick out the lamb? And she says, yes, I can. She doesn't mind doing that sort of thing. But when you wind up with just, you know, a serving of rice and basically some gravy and a couple of carrots and a couple of potatoes, it doesn't feel overly satisfying. Now, you might find yourself in that situation Every now and again, when you're at someone new's house for dinner or trying a you know, new restaurant, <laughs> ex- trying a new restaurant, something like exactly. But when it is your family and I think it is important for you to then call up your aunt and say, hey, you know, mom gave me a heads up that it's lamb stew. I'd love to bring something that would meet my needs, because I think just showing up what had happened was Deidre showed up with a sandwich and it, it caused some ruffled feathers. She had been offered some spaghetti. Again, it was leftover spaghetti. I can understand not wanting to eat leftovers, but bringing that sandwich that is so different. What I love about your father's story is that he would bring like this cheese and tomato pie that probably fit the meal pretty well. You know, that it was something that looked like it could belong, that maybe others could share in. And I think there's something about that that creates more of a a, a sense of belonging and community at a meal, which is what you're often doing. I think it could have it could have been better executed on both ends. I would love to see your family start accommodating you, but if they don't, you have to be proactive about that in a way that's that's trying to make it work. And I think, you know, just starving yourself at the dinner doesn't that's that's very defiant in a in a subtle way. Yeah, and it's it's nice to be able to share food with people. That's, it it's, is. It's a fundamental social experience, and <clears throat> that that and that's sharing what she's of wanting. Food, that's yeah. what she's wanting. And I think as the host, it's important not to take offense if someone with a dietary restriction or preference that's offers different than yours bring. offers to bring a dish. Right. That's not something to be offended about. That's them thinking ahead and really trying to right. provide a solution to a problem that they feel like they might be presenting. Right now, for something like the office lunches, I would suggest bring in something that meets your needs, and don't worry so much about you know you can sit and enjoy that lunch that you've got that now you know maybe it's your salmon caesar salad or something that is is hearty for you still healthy and delicious but you know you can eat it with the group at lunch and if someone asks you don't have to lie and say you're on a diet in fact it's really better not to instead just say you know I'm a pescatarian and so I wanted something that was really going to be substantial for me at lunch I need I need that protein at my lunch or I need that such and such. You could also go to the organizer and say, you know, Beth, it's so nice that you organize these lunches. I've noticed that the the vegetarian option is is a little slim. I wouldn't or maybe I wouldn't say a little <laughs> slim. See, as soon as you say it, I come out of your mouth, you know whether it's right or wrong. But I would say if you wanted some ideas for vegetarian options, you know, 
falafel is great. There's, you know, uh, this store that you often go to makes a great tuna salad that, you know, because I do eat fish would be awesome to see. Um, if, you know, if you felt like venturing out, that would be something that you could try to do. Or like I said, just bring your own. But I really like both of those options. Yeah. But I'd love to see. A, it is really frustrating when you have made it a, a choice in your life or when the choice has been made for you in the case of an allergy or, or a um, I'm not sure. In the case of an allergy, or a dietary restriction based on religion, or I mean, there 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 are things that people feel really strongly about right. when it comes to diet, and <laughs> it can be frustrating to constantly have to feel like you're having to provide your own all the time. But this is a part of your life. For you, it's a dietary choice that you feel is important enough to stick to and and make, and therefore, I think you do have to be a bit more proactive about it. And that so that would be my advice: offer to bring the dish. Hopefully, aunts and uncles and family will catch on. And in the office, you know, you can talk with them about what better options for a vegetarian option might be. And feel good and confident doing it because that's going to really help that message be received well. Exactly. You want to do this with, like Dan said, confidence, but also a positive attitude rather than the, you know, when when you feel like your needs aren't being met, it's very easy to get into a defensive place. So if you go at this with that positive, like proactive, this is an easy problem to fix. We're good. Uh, dear Joe, I really hope that that helps <laughs> and good luck. Our next question comes from a listener who would prefer to remain anonymous. They ask, I work in a loan center and as such, we are privy to customers' financial information, history, payments, etc. I believe, perhaps because financial topics are part of our everyday, that the courtesies around them are no longer observed. For example, my boss will ask how much I paid for something, how much per plate my wedding was, how much my mortgage payment is. I believe that these are very personal and private questions, and granted, while she knows how much I make, I do not think I should have to share. My boss also has a tendency to repeat other people's personal information, so if I do tell her, I risk the whole office knowing. <laughs> My current modus operandi is to keep information secret, not mentioning when I got a new car, bought a house, etc., until enough time had passed. Am I being too touchy? Is there a polite way to decline to answer these questions, especially when they are coming from a supervisor? Boy, that's, I would expect someone in the financial industry to not be quite so gossipy around the office. Man, her boss, I don't I don't want to be putting my money forward. over there. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. Anyway, one of the things that we often talk about is um, Dan calls them the two F's, uh, family and finance, that when it comes to family and finance, you really don't want to ask probing questions. And the questions that your boss are ask is asking are probing questions. And it's really important that you feel confident in not answering them. Uh, I think that it's absolutely none of her business how much your wedding costs per plate. It's none of her business what your mortgage on your house is. It's none of her business that you got a new car. And these are the types of, of times where, yes, she's not behaving appropriately. That's for certain. But you have to now deal with that. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I think when it does come to your personal finances and financial decisions that you've made, um, I would not feel obligated to state it. And I also wouldn't feel obligated to hide it. Um, you know, I don't think you you have to not mention it or tiptoe or be on eggshells about it. So instead, what I would say is that anytime someone asks you directly how much something in your life costs, you can simply say either, you know, be direct. I'd rather not say that. Kill, mm -hmm. I tell you that kills the conversation really quickly. Mm -hmm. So have a backup to then say, you know, you know, I'd rather not say. But I did want to talk to you about 
such and such. And having something work-related is really good because it brings you back to the focus of work, which is what you should be doing at work mm-hmm. anyway. Um, you could also say, I'm not comfortable sharing that. That's kind of a, a gentler way to handle it. Or, you know, you can get a little cheeky, and I always like this one, it cost exactly what I could afford. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of the polite, but no, you're not going to get an answer way to deal with it um any of them said with a sweet smile you'll be just fine it won't be too terrible um if your boss doesn't get it after you've done this if she continually asks then i do think it's appropriate regardless of what the hierarchy is in the company that you could sit down with her and say you know janet i really i love being at work with you but i do find that You've been asking me a number of questions about my personal spending habits, and that's something I'm not that comfortable with talking about, especially at work. And I just wanted to say that I'm, I'm going to continue to answer that I'm not comfortable, but I've just noticed that you continue to ask, and I just I want to be clear that I'm not going to be comfortable talking about it in the future. It's just it's just who I am and, and my beliefs about finances. And that's perfectly okay to do, even if she is your supervisor. A very valid boundary to draw. Absolutely. So we hope that that helps Anonymous. (laughs) And good luck. That is not a fun situation to be in. Our next question also comes from an anonymous listener, and it's about phone picture album etiquette, which I love. Mm -hmm. I love just the title of that. Our listener writes, I have noticed recently that if I'm showing someone a picture on my phone, I notice the person to whom I am showing will start swiping left or right to see the pictures that come before or after. Is there a polite way to interject here and ask them not to do that? I love that question <laughs> It's so a much. great question. It's such a good question. Um, it, 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 this question just feels so relevant to me. Who, who hasn't had this experience oh, of, yeah. of being there looking at, at the, a photo stream or a photo album on the phone and saying to themselves, boy, I, I wonder what's going to come up next the next time I turn the page. And hopefully if there's anything that you would really feel uncomfortable sharing, you're going to keep that phone in your own hand. My, my, my first piece of advice here is to, to maintain control. some control over the situation. Um, but if, if I, I do think there is a flip side to this. There is very quickly an emerging courtesy of not snooping around on someone's mobile device or personal computer. If you are a guest in someone's home, you don't sit down at their office desk and go through files that you find on their desktop. <laughs> These are powerful little computers in our pockets. They have a lot of very personal information. Information yep. And whether it's emails or someone's photo albums, before you start swiping left or right, you want to ask the person to say, oh, is there another picture like this right after? And, and oftentimes right. there is. Oftentimes it comes from a place of, of real innocence and curiosity. Oh, right. I love this picture of Rocky and I'm guessing you took 15 more and sure enough <laughs> I did and they're all just as adorable as the one before. And Swipe, 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 Please, swipe, swipe. Sw- swipe away. <laughs> right. But um, – also, as someone who's sometimes holding a mobile device finds himself in this situation, I do think it's pretty to ask also, may I? <laughs> do you mind if I right. look around? Because uh, you don't know what you're going to find on someone's phone. And frankly, I'd rather not see a lot of the things that people would rather not share with me. So, right. so I definitely hold that as a personal standard. And I think it's a standard that's starting to emerge, that you ask permission yep. before you take a look. It's so easy to do. Um, why not? And I think the flip side of that is, and this is what I have started doing, especially as my father will grab my phone every now and again. And I will simply say to someone, and I think, you know, a little 
a little cheekiness never hurts again Humor. is you you don't want to go further than that photo and it's i don't you don't have to know why but and i love it because my dad will always look at me and be like really lizzie and i'm like hey i'm just preparing you for it like you don't want to go further than that photo um it is okay for you to say you know this is just the one or you know and that's what you're talking about holding that phone so that they can't swipe it but if they do have it in their hand you can just say you know there's only two photos and you're swiping right and that's it. But you can be direct about this. This is your photo album. It's large. It's got a lot in it. Perfectly okay. Once again, we hope that helps. Great question. Thanks so much. Keep them coming. Our next question comes from Elizabeth. She asks, My husband, six-year-old daughter, and I recently moved into a new neighborhood. We were thrilled when the doorbell rang one day and a little boy was standing there asking our daughter to play. He and his two older siblings live on the end of the cul-de-sac. However, it quickly became apparent that our families are very different, specifically when it comes to boundaries. This is especially true of the youngest, who will repeatedly ring our doorbell if we do not answer the door. One night, the ring continued for 10 minutes. And who walks into our house without invitation unless I make sure to answer the door and only open with the width of my body. <laughs> when I say that we are busy and that our daughter can't play, we're asked exactly what we're doing, when we will be home. They even watch for our car to drive up the cul-de-sac and enter the garage while we're getting out of the car. My question is this, how do I handle these boundary infractions? The children are six, seven, and nine, and although I do not know their parents well, I've met them only once, they seem to encourage independence. Please note, this is not a judgment of their parenting. It's different from the way we parent our daughter. I've tried telling them directly not to do specific things. Please don't ring the doorbell repeatedly. We'll answer if we're home, but they interpret this as a one-time directive. We don't want to create any tension or animosity, but I would like to know the best way to handle this situation. Thank you for any guidance you can provide. This is a difficult one because anytime you're dealing with other people's kids, it gets touchy. And I think Elizabeth understands that. Um, that being said, uh, one of the things that we talk about frequently is you you don't have to discipline other people's kids, but you do have to set boundaries in your own home, and you are perfectly within your right to do that. Now, to me, obviously, you've tried setting the boundaries with the children, and six might even be a little bit young for them to retain it. And so, you know, it, it's no, it's not great that this little kid is barging through, and clearly he hasn't been taught that level of of boundary respecting yet or he's just not getting it when his parents try to teach it to him but i think that this is this is why it's really important to know the parents of of the kids in the neighborhood and the kids that your kids play with um because you want to be able to have that conversation so i know you've only met them once but i would in in a very open way say that you need you need to talk to the parents at this point and you can explain to them a couple of the situations that are going on just say hey you know we love that our kids are playing it's so awesome to have this this group of kids all within the same age range in the neighborhood and we were psyched that your boys want to play with our daughter but what we are finding is that we've let them know sometimes that aren't good times to come over and they're still coming over at those times and it's just it's a lot and we would love it if you know, you could talk with the boys about when are appropriate times to come over and, and when aren't and, you know, what's important about giving a family a little bit of space, that sort of thing. And I think that any parent would understand that, OK, you know, I mm-hmm. <laughs> clearly having our kids run over and walk into your garage when you've driven up is a bit excessive. I mean, I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. 
Maybe they're those parents that won't, but I'm hoping they're those parents that will understand that. And, and if they don't think that that's excessive, it's it's really it's okay for you to help them to understand that for you that is too much. Very much and so. And to establish what you, you – I, I love the language of boundaries here because it really is important to be clear what it your is. boundaries are and to draw those lines in a way that parents and kids can understand them. And we always go back to the, the, the sort of version of the when you I feel type statement. So it's you – know, it's not something we're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. is a really gentle way of letting someone know this this isn't something we feel okay about. And because we are neighbors, because we're going to be living near each other, and I do want our kids to play together, we want that to happen in a way that's comfortable for both families. Uh, another possibility would be to, to, to develop the structure that is the structure you'd like to see and to start to introduce that. Say, you know, we'd really love it if the boys would call. Before they'd come over. Okay, that's that, great. That, that might be a way to start to introduce some distance, to mediate that relationship, and to introduce the standard that you think is more appropriate. It also mm-hmm. could be something like establishing actual play dates for the kids, mm-hmm. so that the boys know that on Friday at three p.m. after school we are going to all play in the neighborhood. And you want there to be a little bit more free. I mean, I, I babysit some kids um, still, and and sure enough, every now and again, you know, I've I've got the kids. They're just sitting down to dinner and the neighbor's kid will come over and say, hey, can Zach play? And I'll say, you know, right now the the kids are eating dinner and after that it's going to be bath and bed. So unfortunately, it's not going to happen tonight, but yeah, learning how to give that no effectively is an important part of, of good living and good parenting. But in your case, Elizabeth, I do say it's really important that you go talk to the parents at this point because the kids aren't listening. And that boundary is really important. Practice it with your husband. Practice it with a friend. See how it sounds. Ask them if there's anything in there that would be questionable. And I think you'll be good to go. Good luck. <laughs> and welcome to the neighborhood. Let me come please for the children. everyone for sending in your questions. They really are the, the beating heart of this show, and we appreciate it so much. You can submit your next question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also send them in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. Today we have another rapid-fire segment for you. Uh, They are fast becoming my favorite segment on the show. As always, we ask that you please remember that most etiquette questions do have caveats in certain situations that that would provide a different answer, but this is for fun. We want to get you answers as quickly as possible, so these are our yes and no, true and false, really simple rapid-fire segments. Let's begin. Does the mother of the bride have to wear a solid-colored dress? No. When you're finished eating, should the tines of your fork point up? Yes. Do you have to return a thank-you note with a thank-you note? No, but do you have to acknowledge a thank-you gift? Yes. Can you reciprocate a dinner invitation with a cocktail party invitation? Yes. In business, is it okay for a woman to put on lipstick at the table? No. Socially, should a man ask before he holds a chair for a woman? Yes. Do you need to return a call if the caller didn't leave a message? No. Is it okay to not respond to an invitation to indicate you won't be attending? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) If you have a plus one to an event, can you invite anyone you choose? Yes. 
Should the bar staff have to have a tip jar at your wedding? No. Should parents take turns driving kids to and from playdates? <laughs> Definitely yes. Is the fish fork the only fork placed to the right of the plate? Yes. Should you cover your wine glass with your hand if you don't want any wine? No. Is it okay to talk on your phone when a cashier is ringing you up? No. In business, should you start by addressing someone formally using Mr. or Ms.? <laughs> yes. When staying at a hotel, should you leave the housekeeping staff a tip each day? Yes. Is reading an email out loud a good way to check for tone and errors? Absolutely yes. In an open office environment, is clipping your nails at your desk ever appropriate? No. And do you have to tip cable or other utility service technicians? No. <laughs> We hope that helps clear up some of your more pressing etiquette quandaries. Um, if you have any questions about anything that we've said here, feel free to send them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, and we will clarify in a future episode. Today's Awesome Etiquette Salute comes via the Newsers website, and Rob Quinn writes a story about an artist who actually created subway etiquette posters for the top 10 etiquette offenses that people find on the subway. And I love this story. It goes like this. Call him. I also love it because they actually mention Emily Post mm -hmm. etiquette in it. <laughs> Call him the 21st century Emily Post. Artist Jason Shelowitz is out to teach New York City subway riders that groping, sneezing, preaching and littering is totally uncool. Shelowitz quizzed passengers on their pet peeves and made the top 10 into pretty humorous posters in the style of the Transit Authority's own Gawker reports. He's been plastering them throughout the system this week. Nail clipping is the theme of one poster. Under no circumstances is the subway the right place for this. The sound is incredibly annoying and the little nail bits go flying all over the place. Keep it at home, please. It's crazy that this even had to be mentioned. Have a look at the full set of posters. You can go to newsers.com and look for the story. Thank you, Rob Quinn, for writing about it. Last train a running between the You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? As always, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. We love that. You can also send us your questions, your etiquette salutes, and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, or you can find us on Facebook. We are the Emily Post Institute. You can also reach us on Twitter. I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. If you're interested in sponsoring Awesome Etiquette, we would love to hear from you at infiniteguest.org. Awesome Etiquette is a part of the Infinite Guest Network, which has all kinds of podcasts for you to listen to, including You Must Remember This with Karina Longworth. Each week, she explores the hidden and or forgotten histories of Hollywood's first century. This week, Karina explores the dramatic story behind Barbara Streisand in the making of the controversial 1976 film A Star is Born. Learn more at infiniteguest.org.
that tines of the fork one's going to get some of the stick. The, that's one that people think should be the other way for some reason. I know, right? So scratches up the silverware. Or the china. That's what I meant. 